good? Okay. Can I get a quick shout out for epic sermon bumpers like that one we just showed? All bass. I loved it. It was awesome. Um, well, hey, if I haven't met you yet, uh, one of the, uh, the elders here, my name is Nick. Thank you for tuning in on the live stream. Thank you for, uh, you know, driving on slushy roads to be here. We're glad to, to see and have you all here. As that sermon bumper showed, we're transitioning from our sermon series in the book of, um, not the book, but from a sermon series on abiding in Christ, where we looked at the spiritual disciplines in January. And now we're diving into the book of Acts for the majority of the year. We're going to be primarily going all the way uh, to halfway through the book of Acts. So here, who here is excited about jumping into Acts this year? Yeah, uh, I'm pumped. I'm pumped. And you might be asking, hey, why did we choose the book of Acts as the elders? We're praying in the fall, uh, trying to plan out 2021. Why did we choose Acts? Well, um, for those of you who are members, you know that we are a non-denominational church. But Pastor Jeff, uh, the, the church plant pastor, the, the founder, Pastor Emeritus of the Transit Church, he planted this church in the Acts 29 network. So in a way, we're still in that network. We're in Acts 29 church. And if you've read the book of Acts, and the book of Acts is the history of the early church, you know that there's only 28 chapters in the book of Acts. So the premise behind uh, us being called, or the network, the church planning network being called the Acts 29 network is that we are the 21st century church. We are to be the continuation of what the church did, what the Holy Spirit did through the early church. We are the continuation of that. And the far more sobering reality of that is this, is that we've been entrusted with the same mission that the early church was entrusted with from King Jesus. And that mission is to advance the kingdom of God to the ends of the earth. And so as we go through the book of Acts in the sermon series, I want us to imagine that there is a baton that is being passed to us from the early church, where they're screaming off the pages of Holy Scripture to us saying, what we've done, you transit church now continue to do through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so as we go through this series, it's easy for us to um, kind of we, we really pressed into this in our Abide series, but it's, when we study scripture, it's easy for us to just view Christian maturation and discipleship as just downloading more biblical knowledge. And it, it, I just want to call us to not study the book of Acts as passive observers, just collecting more intellectual knowledge that never goes from here to here. We are a, we love theology, we love God's word, God's word will always be open, you, like I, I am a theology nerd, it is crucially important to have orthodoxy, right thinking about God, it's crucially important, but at the same time, orthodoxy needs to lead to orthopraxy, how we live our lives, and lastly, to doxology, most importantly, to worship of God, and so I'm inviting us in this series, as we go through the book of Acts, to not just study this with us together as passive observers, but active participants, active participants, because what the early church, the battle the early church was in against the kingdom of darkness, advancing the kingdom of God, is our battle. The battle's still going on. Uh, a while back, Alex Rogers and I, uh, we read Killer Angels, and then we went to the battle of uh, Gettysburg up in Pennsylvania, and uh, I, uh, I had a freshly roasted coffee, we walked Pickett's Charge, you know, studying all the historical facts, and there wasn't a battle still going on. It meant nothing to us. It was just, it was, it was cool. We read the placards. I got more information. We got some exercise in. As you know, I'm just sipping coffee. We're picking even pea snaps, you know, on picket straw, you know, whatever. All that stuff. And it was just a passive observation of a battle of some guys who, you know, once lived and did some awesome things. But that no longer has any bearing on our lives. 
And sometimes we approach the book of Acts that way where we go, well, everyone in the book of Acts has died out, right? Well, the, the key character of the book of Acts has not died out, and his name is the Holy Spirit, and he's still living and active and wants to operate both in the church, to operate in power through the church to advance the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so with that reason, I want to I hone in on this, is that we share the same mission of the early church in Acts. And because we share the same mission, what we're really going to be talking about this sermon series is we also need to adopt their primary method to fulfill the Great Commission. We need to adopt their primary method. And the sermon series that we've entitled, we've decided to entitle this sermon series, is not Acts of the Apostles, but Acts of the Holy Spirit. Acts of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the main character in the book of Acts is the Holy, the Holy Spirit. God. God. Third person of the Trinity. The promise of the Father that was poured out at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit. And, and, and here's why. Here's some fun facts about the book of Acts. 59 times, there's 28 chapters in the book of Acts, 59 times the Holy Spirit shows up. That's, if you were to do the math, that's more than twice a chapter the Holy Spirit enters the scene. And for almost 40, 4-0, almost 40 other times, when the Holy Spirit shows up, what is he doing? He's speaking. He's speaking to his people, to speak through them. To advance the gospel, whenever you see people filled with the Spirit of God, what cracks out of their mouth is they're testifying to the gospel of the King, Jesus. That's how the gospel spread. 59 times the Holy Spirit shows up, almost 40 of those times. He is speaking. Because our God is living and active, he did not die out with the, the apostles. He is still on the move. And this is what J.D. Greer has to say. The book of Acts tells the mind-blowing story of how a group of underqualified, mostly blue-collar workers filled with the Holy Spirit can turn the world upside down. A quick read, a quick read of Acts reveals that the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God is the primary actor. It's the Holy Spirit who guides, who speaks, who moves. The disciples, I love this, the disciples are simply trying to. To keep up they're simply trying to keep up and then he says this it becomes red this is jd greer this is jd greer it becomes readily clear that the spirit not the apostles not them is the one accomplishing the mission jesus gave them in acts 1 8 acts 1 8 you will receive power to be my witnesses when the holy spirit comes upon you and this thing will go to the ends of the world so the mission of the early church to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth was only accomplished through their method of full reliance and dependence upon the holy spirit the promise of the father and so let me just take a quick commercial break and for those of you that have read through acts let me just let's just talk about the early church's method can i just say as far as like church growth models go like should it be a seeker friendly or like attractional church or whatever as far as like church growth models go the model and the method the early church used to advance the gospel listen it worked really 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 like really well you tracking with me it worked really well so i'm under the impression that i don't need a new book or a new philosophy of ministry as much as we need to go through acts and figure out what jesus intended for his church and what jesus intended for his kingdom to advance across the face of the earth. We're going back to what scripture says. That's how God builds his church. This is how God builds his church. And as you can tell, I'm just mildly fired up about it. Um, and so, and the reason this method worked, church, oh, the reason this method worked is because it wasn't a method. 
It was reliance upon a person, the Holy Spirit. He swept through their midst. It was beautiful. The Holy Spirit had a free pass, a free pass, if you will, to move about the cabin in the early church. And because of that, the gospel spread like wildfire. And then we, for some reason, in the 21st century, think we need to do all these other things and quench the Holy Spirit when I think, I think we need to return to what Jesus intended, the promise of the Father. And so I am so excited for this sermon series. And so our elders, all to say, our elders want nothing more than to be used by God to fulfill the Great Commission, to go and might make disciples locally and globally. That's our heart, our heart cry, right? And so we're, we're da- I mean, weekly, weekly gathering and praying for hundreds, if not thousands of souls to be saved for King Jesus. And now take a wild guess as to what church growth model we're going to use to make that happen. Take a wild guess, right? It's called full reliance upon, hunger for, empowerment of the Holy Spirit. This is how Jesus builds his church through the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is how the good news of the gospel goes to the ends of the earth, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And so uh, as we go through Acts, we're going we're gonna, to uh, read uh, a text out loud together and then pray here. But as we go through Acts, I want to stir faith. I want to stir faith this morning. And I want to invite you, I want to invite you into this. What if, just what if there is so much more that the living God has in store for his people? What if there is so much more that the living God wants to do in your life? And not just do in your life, but what if there's so much more the living God wants to do through your life? Through your life. There is. There is so much more, church. There is so much more. We have not arrived. And when we, when, we, when we look at and gaze at the impossibility of fulfilling the Great Commission to the ends of the earth, bring this gospel to the ends of the earth, it, it causes us to get on our face and go, Lord, the impossibility of the task at hand calls us to cry out for hunger, prayerful dependence. Okay, hey, Lord, we need more of you to make this happen, right? And so that's what we're going to be doing as we go through the book of Acts. So let's read this out loud together, Acts 1, 1 through 5, and then we'll pray and dive in. And the verses should be on the screen. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them 40, during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Let's pray. King Jesus, oh man, would your name be exalted today. We love you, Lord. We're so grateful. This worship gathering is all about you. It's for the hallowing of your name. We ask for you to increase in our midst, to increase in our hearts, to increase in our community. Lord, to increase, to increase, Jesus, would you be magnified through your word? Holy Spirit, would you come and would you have your way with our hearts? Would you have your way with your word and with your people this morning? We need you, Holy Spirit. The needs in our our own personal lives, the brokenness in our marriages and our families and our neighborhoods and our communities, the needs are so great around us, God. We cry out for a fresh outpouring of your spirit that propels us to live on radical mission for you, God. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way. 
We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, well, verse 1, we kind of have some introductory remarks. And uh, uh, Luke says this. He goes, in the first book of Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And so let's stop here and clarify. Who is this guy, Theophilus? What's the first book Luke is talking about? So on and so forth. Well, what we know to be true is that Luke is the author of the book of Acts. And if you were to take a wild guess, Luke also authored a a gospel. Which gospel do you think Luke authored? Luke. Yes, yes, you guys got it, yes. Not Matthew or Mark. Yeah, so Luke also wrote the gospel of Luke. And this is what we know about Luke, is that he was a doctor, he was a physician. So it probably means that he was obviously highly educated, maybe wealthy. In Colossians 4.14, the Apostle Paul describes Luke this way. He says, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you. So what we learn about Luke is that Luke actually continually traveled with the Apostle Paul on his missionary journeys. He was a fellow companion advancing the kingdom of God as he both reported and recorded uh, everything that the Lord was doing in and through uh, the early church. And we see in Acts 16, we're not sure if we're going to make it all the way to Acts 16 in the sermon series, uh, but in Acts 16, you actually see the, the author of this letter insert himself into the account where all of a sudden the, the narration shifts from, and then they went, or then he spoke to, all of a sudden we we started moving here, then, and all of a sudden, Luke's like, hey, I was in this too. I was an eyewitness to the advancement of the kingdom. And, um, <clears throat> and, then, and then that begs the question, okay, well, that's great. We know that about Luke. That's awesome. Who is this guy, Theophilus, that he's writing to? Well, uh, there's some debate amongst commentators, but most commentators uh, argue this, is that uh, Theophilus was uh, most likely a Roman citizen, maybe a new convert to Jesus, who uh, uh, probably financially funded Luke's ministry to report and record everything that Jesus did in the Gospel of Luke, and then the the ministry of Jesus continued in Acts. And so in a way, Theophilus, what what, what, uh, some scholars suggest, is that he actually helped fund that. And so imagine, imagine, you know, as you support missionaries and maybe some church plant pastors, and you get, uh, you know, those emails or those letters like, hey, thank you for your support. Let me tell you about what the Lord's doing right? Could you imagine being a Theophilus? You brew some coffee. Oh, Luke sent me a thank you for your support letter. I wonder, I wonder what happened. I wonder what's going on. And then Theophilus opens this up. He's probably knocked out of his chair, spits his coffee all over this, the scroll of the book of Acts that Luke just sent him and said, oh, hey, by the way, look at the return on your investment, Theophilus. The whole world is being turned upside down for the kingdom of God. What a great finan- what a great thank you letter. Thank you, Theophilus, for your financial support. By the way, the entire world is being turned upside down. The gospel is advancing in power to the ends of the earth. Thank you. I love that. Imagine, I, can, I just can't even imagine getting that in the mail. It's beautiful. And, um, and, then, and, then, and then he kind of shifts gears here. And then uh, uh, Luke here describes kind of in one summary the gospel of Luke. And he says, in my first book, kind of episode one, the way Luke would summarize episode one, the gospel of Luke, would be everything that Jesus began to do and to teach. Everything that Jesus both began to do and to teach. So what we see there is that Jesus didn't just declare the kingdom. It was both word Indeed, it was both talk and walk. He both declared the coming of the kingdom and he demonstrated it in good deeds done for the least of these in society and the power of the spirit of God. That's how that gospel advanced. And I love the line where he goes, all that Jesus began, began 
to do. And the impression I get with that is, hey, Theophilus, my first book, the Gospel of Luke, that was Jesus just warming up. That was what Jesus just began to do. That was his warm-up. That was his warm-up. That was him just getting started. Acts is the, the ministry of Jesus continued through the church. You and I are the continuation of the ministry of Jesus because the gospel, according to, the gospel of Luke, according to Luke, was what Jesus just began to do. So there's a continuation with the book of Acts that the book of Acts is Jesus continued. The ministry, the work, the love, the mission of Jesus continued through his spirit-empowered church. I love that. And then uh, Luke here kind of transitions into some introductory, introductory remarks in verses 1 through 3. And uh, he kind of, what he's doing here is he's reminding Theophilus and reminding the other readers of this text of where his gospel let, uh, left off. And he describes this beautiful but often overlooked period in redemptive history, the period between resurrection and the ascension. Resurrection and the ascension. And this is what he says in Acts 1, 2 through 3. So in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And then verse 2, until the day when Jesus was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So very briefly, Luke is catching the reader up to episode 1. Acts is episode 2. Uh, uh, the Gospel of Luke, Luke is episode 1. And the way I liken these kind of introductory remarks in the book of Acts is, uh, I'm not going to ask if you've seen Star Wars. All of you, I'm sure, have seen Star Wars. It's like that rolling script that begins, right, of every Star Wars movie. It takes like 30 minutes of that rolling script, and you're like, when is the movie ever going to start? And what is that? What is that? It's just recapping what happened in the previous episode. It's sharing the context of what's happening. Now, hey, this, this section here is part of a larger story. And so Acts 1 through 5 is the rolling script, right? And so what we're going to do, we're going to pop in. We're going to take out Acts right now in our, my sermon. We're going to take out of the VCR episode 2, okay? And we're going to pop in episode 1. We're going <laughs> to, anyone know what a VCR is? Yes, some of you do. We're going to pop in episode 1, and we're going to fast forward to the end of Luke's gospel, the end of Luke's gospel, and we're going to look, we're going to take a dive into this 40-day kingdom of God seminar that the resurrected Jesus had with the disciples before he ascended into heaven. And there's two things that Luke highlights in this 40-day seminar. One, Luke says, Jesus offered many convincing proofs. One, many convincing proofs of his, his bodily resurrection. And then two, we see here in Acts 3, that he began to speak to them about the kingdom of God. So one, it was, hey, proof, hey, I, I have resurrected. And then the second one was, now let me teach you about the kingdom of God. And so I'll uh, turn to Luke 24. Uh, the verses will be on the screen as well. But we're going to take a quick dive into episode one here, the gospel of Luke. Verse 36, as the disciples were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them. And said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened, and they thought they saw a spirit, a spirit. And Jesus said to them, why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands 
and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, marveling, I love this line. He said to them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. And so what we see here are the many convincing proofs of Jesus' bodily resurrection. The, the foundation of our faith is the apostolic eyewitness to the resurrected Jesus. That's the foundation of our faith. And I couldn't, I mean, just imagine being there and all of a sudden Jesus walks through a wall, shows up, and then what does Jesus immediately do? He, he, he makes a key distinction. He says, my resurrection was not just spirit. My resurrection was a bodily resurrection. You're never going to find my body. And proof of that is, look, he invites them, engage all five senses. Look, uh, hear, touch, uh, I mean, smell, you know, whatever, whatever it is. You're going to be eyewitnesses to this, right? And proof of that is, hey, someone get me a filet of fish sandwich, and I'm going to eat that in your midst. Many convincing proofs, and it begs the question, well, why would Jesus do that? Well, look at his heart for his disciples who abandoned him and were cowering and hiding in fear. Jesus, the first thing Jesus do is he goes to his friends, his precious followers, and he gives them great reassurance. He gives great reassurance to the doubting, fearful, confused disciples, and he's essentially saying, hey, fellas, it's all real. Everything I said that would come to pass has come to pass. You were looking at the king of kings, the resurrected king of glory. I have triumphed. I have conquered sin and death and the devil. And you right now, as you look at my bodily resurrection, my bodily resurrection is the first fruits, is the preview of your bodily resurrection. So as you look and see, you're looking at what's, what's waiting for you as well. You're looking at your future. I love that. So beautiful. And then we wonder why the disciples would give their lives, right, for, for this gospel. And the reason why is because they couldn't unsee and unexperience some things, right? We'll see in Acts, they're standing before the religious leaders who, just, who crucified Jesus. And for all they know, they're about to be crucified as well. And what comes out of their mouth is, we can only testify to what we've seen and heard. I can't unsee some things. I saw the resurrected Jesus eat a fish sandwich in my presence. And I will give my life for that. You can beat me, you can arrest me, you can make me a martyr, but I will not take back the witness that I saw. That's the foundation of our faith. They gave their lives for what they saw because it was true. It's true. Jesus bodily rose from the dead. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And then next, what I want to hone in on, when I, man, I've been praying that I would articulate this so well because it wrecked me in my office. And when I mean wreck, I just meant that I was crying as, as this, I had this discovery was look at the hope Jesus gives us. Look at the hope that Jesus gives his disciples, saying this is your future. Your resurrection is a bodily resurrection. It's not just spirit. The sound of that, the, the, the final trumpet, your spirit and your body will be forever restored. And what we learn there is that God cares dearly about all of you. You are his workmanship. When we are made in the image of God, we have the manufacturing stamp of the king of kings on us and sin. Sin seeks to cause decay and death and disease in our bodies. And it leads, that's the, that's the curse of sin, is death. 
And the father, the father's not going to let sin get the final say on his work of art. God doesn't trash our bodies after we die. Every single cell of your body is going to be redeemed. It's going to be redeemed and reconciled and restored. All of creation. That's the reconciling work of Jesus Christ. That's what he's done. What a great comfort. There's a debate. Is it always God's will to heal the believer? Is it always God's will to heal? heal? The answer is yes. Your healing is coming. It's just a matter of time. Sure, God might speed it up on this side of the grave, but rest assured, if you are wrestling with a physical ailment, you have, you have a bunch of metal in your spine, there's cancer in your body, rest assured, if you are in Christ Jesus, your day of healing is coming. That's what Jesus accomplished for you. Resurrected, glorified body, and he cares so much about that. When the, when the word became flesh and dwelt among us, when the deity clothed himself in humanity, Jesus, listen, Listen, he will forever be clothed in humanity. It's not like when he ascended to heaven, he goes, oh my gosh, get this stuff off of me. Thank you. No, no, no. Jesus will eternally be clothed in human flesh. He'll be eternally clothed. What a, what a beautiful truth that our high priest, our intercessor, had he, that he identifies with us so much that the king of kings, when he descended and took on flesh, that he, he, he is not unclothing. He is not unclothing that flesh, but forever will be clothed in that flesh. And that's what Jesus said. Look, I'm, 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 I'm flesh and bones. I'm flesh and bones. I love that. And the beautiful part about that is the work that he has begun in you when the king of kings takes up residence in your heart. The beautiful work, not just spiritually, but also physically that he's begun in you, he will bring to full completion. Your body will be fully healed and glorified and restored. That's the hope that Jesus gives us. So when you see Pastor Nick in heaven, you will not recognize me. You will not recognize me. Why? Because I'm going to have a full head of hair, right? I'm going back to junior year of college. I'm talking the swoosh, the flow, uh, every hair follicle restored, all right, for the glory of God. Amen. That brought me such a profound hope and comfort, and I hope that does to you as well, because, man, that's the reality. That's our future. As sure, 1 Corinthians 15, read it. As sure as Christ, he was the first fruits of uh, his resurrection, bodily resurrection, is the first, fruit, first fruits of our resurrection. And so uh, Luke continues, and we see a transition in that, this 40-day kingdom of God seminar that the king of kings had with his disciples, where he shifts from uh, 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 convincing proofs to now kingdom principles. Look at Luke 24, verse 44. And then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to, him, said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And you are witnesses to these things. And so Jesus here, he begins his 40-day seminar by just opening the scriptures with the disciples, showing them how in the law of Moses, the prophets, the Psalms, saying the entirety of the Old Testament canon, that it was all pointing to this messianic king who would usher in forever and fully the beautiful reign of God over his people. And, um, and then he commissions his disciples. He commissions them to advance the message of the kingdom, the gospel, the good news, of what uh, Jesus Christ has accomplished 
for his people. And you might be asking, so in, in, in Acts 1 through 5, we see it says Jesus told them about the kingdom. He taught them about the kingdom. And then at the end of Luke's gospel, we see him talk about the gospel, repentance and forgiveness of sins through Jesus' death and resurrection. You might be asking, well, what does the gospel have to do with the reign of the king and the advancement of his kingdom? And part of it is this. We learn a key lesson here about the kingdom of God. Please listen to this, is that the reign and rule of King Jesus starts here. This is where the reign and rule of King Jesus starts. This is how the world is turned upside down and acts. King Jesus, King Jesus, he didn't tell his disciples to go up and oppress and dominate politically or whatever. He said, he said this is where I take up residence. And, and it's from this seat, this posture, that I change the world. The kingdom of God is a grassroots movement. It's from the bottom up. A bunch of redeemed, reconciled, ransomed, rescued sinners with Jesus as their king going and changing the world horizontally. That's how the world has changed. King Jesus taking up residence in human hearts. The gospel is preached. How will they know unless they, how can they believe unless they, they know of the good news of the king? The gospel is preached. People are saved. The Holy Spirit invades the life uh, uh, the, the Holy Spirit invades holy spaces. And so when Jesus comes and his atoning work is applied to your heart through the Holy Spirit, guess who, guess who takes up residence? King Jesus does. And your heart and your life forever, for all of eternity, is radically changed. And this is why forgiveness of sins is so essential for the kingdom, is because our sins are what separate us from a holy God, right? It's just the way of his nature. He is so holy, and our sin is so sinful and so unlike him that they can't mix his oil and water and so what the king of kings has taken upon himself is to fix this problem ourselves and we see the love that god it was for god so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would come to have eternal life in him and eternal life is 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 the lordship of jesus taking full control over your hearts and so forgiveness of sins is so necessary is because we first have to have our sins forgiven for the king to take up residence in our hearts and the beautiful thing about the gospel, unlike other worldviews, is the king of kings is standing outside of the door of the house of every human heart, and he's knocking and saying, I want to come in and feast with you. I'm knocking. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And listen, whenever some of you, if you're, if you're community group leaders or you host a community group or you, you have people that people of renown that are, that are going to come and take up residence in your house, what do you, you kind of freak out, right? Mild panic attack. Like, oh my gosh, let's cover up the holes in the wall, the embarrassing stains on the couches, the floors are a mess, the dishes are stacked to the ceiling. Like, my house is a mess. And the king who stands at the door and knocks of every human heart doesn't say, I'm coming, you better clean that up. Clean up that mess and then I'll come in. No, 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 that's not the message of the kingdom. The message of the king is he's knocking with nail-scarred hands. And he's saying, look, just let me in and I'll clean it up. Let me in. I do beautiful work. You'll never be able to clean the house of your heart. You'll never be able to do it. Let in the gracious, the kind, the compassionate, the forgiving king who gave his life, who gave his life to take up residence in your heart. It's out of love that he died. It's out of love that, he's, that, he, that, he, that he gave his life. So when, when we preach the gospel, we have to show and communicate that it's the love of Jesus, that he, where you are, where your heart is, that's where Jesus wants to take up residence. So much love that he, he wants to, he would die to live with you, to take up residence in your heart. So the most beautiful invitation that could be ever extended to anyone is to confess Jesus as Lord. Receive his fresh forgiveness. Let him come and clean house. 
Let him, let, him, let him have full access to your heart. He's a kind king. He's a compassionate king. Today is a day of salvation for anyone who's watching on uh, uh, the live stream. Romans 10 says this, 10, 9 through 10, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of repentance. Today is the day of fresh forgiveness. Go to your king. Let him in. Have you, have you enthroned him? Have you bent your knee and declared that Jesus is Lord? That's the message of the gospel. There's a king who has purchased with his own blood amnesty, amnesty and adoption into his kingdom. On no, no effort on your own, you just have to open up your hands and receive and receive and declare his lordship in your life. And there's a, a, a false presupposition that we can reject Jesus and live free of lordship of anyone else in our life. And what Jesus makes crystal clear, he talks about salvation here. What he, the salvation he's talking about essentially is that there are two kingdoms in the world. There's the kingdom of darkness and there's the kingdom of God. And there's two kings essentially, the devil and Jesus. And the day of salvation comes when you repent and you turn from having Satan as your Lord and Master for all of eternity, and you throw yourself at the mercy and the love of Jesus, and you say, I want you to be my Lord and Master for all of eternity. That's the message of the gospel. Salvation. What are we saved from? The full wrath of God against our sin. Eternal separation. Demons being our masters forever in hell. That's what Jesus has saved us from. When we understand that, it causes us to weep. Over, over one, adoration. Thank you, Jesus. But also, two, it motivates us to go. And tell him of this great amnesty that the king offers. The king offers. So that is on the table for you. Cry out to King Jesus in faith. Confess that he is Lord. Receive the forgiveness for your sins. And let the king of kings into the house of your heart. There's nothing better. There's nothing better. I am pleading with you. If you're on the live stream today, there is no better decision you could ever make in your life than confessing that Jesus is Lord and believing he died to forgive you of your sins. He will change your life for all of eternity. That's the good news of the kingdom. And this is how the world was changed. Jesus taking up residence in human hearts, radically transforming lives, and they radically transformed Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. The gospel is beautiful. And after convincing proofs and kingdom principles, and I'm slowly wrapping up here, and Jesus says something, something shocking. Luke 24, 49 says this, And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay, stay put in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Acts 1, 4 through 5. Acts 1, 4 through 5. And while staying with them, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So this, in my opinion, is kind of is a head scratcher. For 40 days, the resurrected King of glory has appeared to his disciples He's opening up the scriptures to them, showing how he is the fulfillment of that. And uh, he gives them the commission to go, preach repentance and forgiveness of sins, preach this great news, this great gospel. And it's almost as if, so I grew up playing ice hockey, and you'd have coaches in the locker room before a big game, and they'd have their whiteboard out, 
right? And it's almost as if, like, this 40-day window you think is like a locker room experience before you step out onto the ice. And the coach is saying, hey, here's some key strategies, here's some key principles, you know, whatever, key plays, all that stuff. But then there's a transition when the Zamboni is on that final lap where the, the coach gets all fired up, you know, and he's got to rally the troops. And he's like, now go get them, guys, go get them, you know, we're going to whatever. And Jesus, in the locker room for 40 days, he doesn't say, go get them, boys. He gets, he, says, he gets them all fired up, and he says, and that's not enough. It's not enough for you to see me. Eyeball to eyeball. That's not enough for you. It's not enough for, it's not enough for you. Could you imagine a seminary classroom with King Jesus? A 40-day intensive on the kingdom of God with Jesus? Jesus says, that's not enough. You've seen me. You've seen the resurrection and the life with your own eyes. Not enough. You've seen, and I've been taught the gospel and the kingdom. It's not enough. You sit and wait. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what Jesus is saying. This, I'm preaching God's word to you. Let me illustrate this. What does Jesus tell them to wait for? He says, he says stay in the city until you are clothed with power on fire. What does he tell them to wait for? He says, wait for the precious blood-bought promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. And the key takeaway we learn here, we're going to be looking at this a lot in Acts. The key takeaway we learn here is how fundamentally critical and indispensable the Holy Spirit is to the advancement of the kingdom of God. So much so that Jesus would say, you all stay put until you're clothed with power from on high. Don't lift a finger in regards to the great commission and to the mission I've given you. Don't lift a finger to that until you receive the Holy Spirit. You all need the new wine, the rivers of living water that I died to give you. And the fact of the matter is this, if the apostles who walked with King Jesus his entire earthly ministry and they saw his resurrected body and they got the 40-day intensive on the kingdom, if they needed the Holy Spirit to advance the kingdom of God, we'd be crazy if we didn't think we needed the Holy Spirit as well to advance the kingdom of God. We'd be crazy. Full dependence, full reliance, full surrender, full surrender to the Spirit's leadership and guidance. And what we see in the book of Acts is that Acts records what simply happens when the Holy Spirit infuses the church with power. That's what happens. Acts happens when the Holy Spirit infuses the church with power. When the Spirit of God fills his church, it explodes with both the power and the authority to preach the gospel and advance the kingdom in word and deed. And for anyone to say that we can advance the kingdom of God without the Holy Spirit is like, we, is like saying that we can sail without the wind blowing. And far too often, I think we try to advance the kingdom with our sails down and without praying and without depending upon the Spirit's leadership and guidance, this is what the early church modeled for us. Yes, it's not a direct one-to-one -one correlation of what they did we're going to do. I'm not going to, you know, see if my shadow is going to fall on somebody and heal them. But what we see is a full reliance and dependence upon and a leadership of and a surrender to the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit needs to be surrendered to, needs to be yielded to. The scriptures say that we can quench the Holy Spirit. We can quench the Holy Spirit, and that's what's so shocking is that sometimes, sometimes we think when it comes to our pneumatology, our doctrine of the Holy Spirit, we think that we have an option of what the Holy Spirit is allowed to do in and through us, that somehow we get a vote. He's God. We don't put the Holy Spirit, church, on a leash and say, you can only go as far as we're willing to go, 
Just don't make us uncomfortable. We can't put a leash on the Holy Spirit. He's God. And, and for, for all intents and purposes, what we see is the opposite. We see the disciples being led by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit saying, I'm Lord, now you follow. You follow me. And so for this sermon series, I'm just going to invite you to do this with us, the elders. The elders have been praying for this every week. As we go through this, one would be this. Let's do two things. One, let's collectively pray as a people of God for the wind of the Holy Spirit to blow in our midst. Because when the Holy Spirit comes, he propels us to the lost. He propels us to the broken. He propels us to fulfill what Jesus has commissioned us to do. We have to. We have to ask for more of the Holy Spirit. Jesus gives us a free pass in Luke eleven thirteen. How much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? We're called in 1 Corinthians 14, 1, earnestly pursue love, pursue the greatest commandment, and lock in step with pursuing the greatest commandment, love of neighbor, love of God, love of neighbor, pursue love, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. What are the spiritual gifts? It's the Holy Spirit manifesting through his people. So if we want to pursue love and love our neighbor, we have to, in tandem, pursue the gifts in love, the Holy Spirit in love. Because, because that's how big our commission is. We need the Holy Spirit. So join the elders for praying for the wind of the Spirit to blow afresh, to move and stir in our midst. Let's do that collectively. And then secondly, let's do this. Let's cast our sails, the sails of our hearts, as high as high and as wide as they can possibly go, saying, Spirit of God, search me for any way that I am quenching your spirit working in and through me. Search me, O God, any way in me that is not of you, any way that, that I am digging my heels in the sand, not wanting to go and fulfill your great commission, reveal that to me and take that from me. Come, Holy Spirit. I am laying my life down. I'm saying you have full access, King Jesus, to my heart. You might be saying, what does it look like to open up the sails of our hearts? We pray for the wind to blow and open up the sail of our hearts. It looks like shifting from this. We were talking about this all abide series. This is quenching the spirit of God, saying, I don't need God to do the great commission. I don't need God to love my neighbor. I don't need to rely on his strength. I don't need to be empowered by his spirit. This is quenching Holy Spirit, which we can do. It's in God's word. And that word quench is extinguished like throwing water, throwing water on a burning flame. This church, watch this. Let's shift from this to this. Come, Holy Spirit. You are Lord. Your Holy Spirit, you're only going to take us as far as your word goes. So we can trust that. We don't need to freak out about anything that's unbiblical. When we ask for the living Holy Spirit to come, he's going to have his way. He's God. He's got our best interest in mind. He's got the interest of his kingdom in mind. So we open up our hands and we say, we... we we want more of you. We're hungering for more of you. We need more of you because the needs around us are so great. So come, Holy Spirit, fill yourselves. And when, watch this. When we collectively open up our hands in full surrender to God, Holy Spirit, and say, have your way with my life, have your way in and through this church. When we do that collectively, let me just say this. That's a mighty big sail for a mighty big wind, Transit Church, when we do that collectively. So that would be my invitation to you. We'll continue to abound in prayer and hungering for more of the Lord more of Holy Spirit to be operating in our midst. And when we have that open hand and surrender, I am beyond elated, church. I am beyond elated. He's already, the, the Holy Spirit is already stirring some stuff afresh uh, in our church. Some awesome things are happening. But I am beyond elated and excited to see 
where the King of Kings and Lord and Lords has his store for his people here at the Transit Church. So with that said, I want to give you guys a moment uh, where you're seated right now to have that moment. I'll just go silent, and I want, I want you all to pray. Um, you can pray for everyone. I'm not going to lead you in a prayer. But I really want this to be, this sermon series in Acts to be so much more than just another sermon series. I want it to be, uh, I want it to be us realigning our hearts to what our King wants for us, what King Jesus purchased for us. So I'll go silent, and I'll give you guys that opportunity to pray now. Father, we come before you humbly. Lord, we, we acknowledge our sin before you, God. We come before you just as we are. Please join me in this church, posturing your heart to the Lord to receive fresh forgiveness. Father, we confess our sins, Lord God. Any way where we have been apathetic to you, to the commission you've given us, God, any way we've bowed to comfort more to you, King Jesus. Any way we're quenching and trying to stay opposed to you having full reign on our heart, God, we repent of that today. We've come before you as your people. Jesus, you purchased us with your blood. We're your servants for life. You possess us, you own us. We were created through you, and we are created for you. We are yours. And we posture our hearts, and we say, have your way with our lives. For those of you that need to invite Jesus to rooms that you've closed into the house of your heart, open those doors now. Open those doors of your heart now. Where the door's been bolted shut for far too long, Jesus is saying, that's where I want to go, to the basement. Invite me in. I do great work, healing work. I came to set at liberty those who are bound. Would you do that now? Posture your heart. Let him in. Enthrone him. Every square inch of your heart today, every square inch, King Jesus does great work when we lay our lives down as a living sacrifice to him, to the one who laid his life down for us. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would move in our midst, God. We thank you that you are present in us, and you are present among us. And we pray that you would thrust us out in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in the city, God, to our coworkers, to our friends, to our family members. Let us testify that the king has come. The kingdom is at hand. There's forgiveness. There's repentance. There's reconciliation. There's eternal life. There's joy, abounding joy for all of eternity. And King Jesus, Holy Spirit, have your way. This news of the gospel cannot stay in-house anymore. We need a fresh wind. We need a fresh move. We need a fresh fire. Oh, Holy Spirit, come. 
We want to be used mightily by you. We want nations to be shaken by you, Jesus. We're laying our lives down on the altar, and your fire falls on altars, Lord Jesus. So come, Holy Spirit. This is your church. You have your way. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against the kingdom of God. Yes, Lord. We say yes and amen. We come into alignment that we're no longer content with the status quo. We're no longer content, Lord Jesus, with brokenness in our neighborhoods, brokenness all around us. When you died and you gave us this precious gospel, this precious redemption, Jesus, we're going, Lord. How can we stay put? How can we stay silent? Eternity is at stake. Oh, God, your kingdom come. Jesus, be glorified. Our lives are yours. Have your way, God. Use us mightily. We will not remain where we are. We will not retreat, retreat in fear. We will risk it all for you, Jesus. It is all on the table for you, God. Come have your way. The needs are far too great around us. Make us weeping. Make us weep, God. Make us mourn over the lost, God. Holy Spirit, have your way. We need you, God. We need you. Thank you, God. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.